Welcome into the BSN Buffs podcast. I am Sam Weaver and I am here with Chase Howell. And today we are going to be talking about that that close loss to UCLA this weekend. Uh, so where would you like to start, Chase? Um, well, we can start just about anywhere, really. I think one of the... I'm, one of the big things that Buffs fans want to hear about is the injuries. There are a couple big injuries to the Buffs secondary in that game against UCLA. There was an illegal hit on Afalabi Laguda, and then um, Trey Udofia came up with a little ankle injury after a play. So uh, I think you've spoken to a couple of them already this week. What did Afalabi Laguda have to say? So uh, I know that Foe is a little sore coming back uh, to practice this week. Um, and Coach Max said that he felt like he was in a car accident. So, I mean, that was just – that was such a nasty hit. That was – I mean, Coach Max said that he felt like that UCLA player should have been ejected. I mean, I think he's right. That was just as dangerous of a hit as a lot of the targeting calls, if not more so, that a lot of players are getting ejected for right now. Yeah, especially because Foe didn't really see him coming – I think we see that a little too much where wide receivers get a little wild with their blocking. They have no regard for the defense when it comes to blocking, and you see that again. I'm not sure what what his name was, the UCLA player that did it, but obviously it was very illegal hit, something that should they should try to get rid of in this game. Yeah, they should they should be able to eject somebody for a hit like that, I guess, is what Mac was saying, and I mean, it if you're going to hurt somebody, take them out of a game like that. I totally agree. I mean, Foe does manage to come back in later in the game, which I, I guess is great that he was feeling better, of course. But, I mean, it's, it's a little scary to put somebody back in a game after a hit like that, I think. Um, and Philip Lindsay also took a pretty rough hit right right to the helmet. Right. Pretty that was, clear targeting call that the refs missed initially. I don't know how, how they missed it, how all of them missed it, and then yeah. they had to go back and look at it. Um, but, yeah, that was a scary moment. I know we all know that Phil is a tough dude, probably the toughest dude on the team, but even all of us were pretty scared for him. Yeah, I mean, Phil's the heart and soul of that offense. Let's let's be honest about that. So, I mean, just strictly from a football perspective, I mean, seeing him take a hit like that is scary, but he's also just a great guy, and you don't, you don't want to see anybody get hurt, but, like, Phil's – Phil's such a nice guy. You definitely don't want to see that happen to him. Um, Montez also takes a lot of really big hits in this game. Yeah. And he said in the press conference today that he he's taken several uh, salt baths this week to try to uh, uh, relieve some of that soreness that he's feeling. And then we also see uh, Trey Udofia. I don't know if his was a hit. He looked like he like came down on his leg. Weird. Yeah, it was more the way that he fell. Yeah, so we don't we don't actually have an update on Trey Dofia's status. Uh, Coach Mack has not given us an official injury update on him. It looks like an ankle injury. I mean, I know that he was wrapped up or something after the game. He was kind of hobbling around. So. Yeah, and there's been some signs coming from practice that he's probably going to be out for this weekend because yeah. uh, you got to talk to Dante Wigley, who stepped in for him, uh, played actually very well for yeah. his first live college football action. It didn't look like they, were, they took that much of a – step down from Trey Udofia and you got to give credit to coach McIntyre who keeps on getting these cornerbacks ready every time they need someone to step up it seems like they're able to step up yeah and Dante today when I asked him he said he's been splitting a lot of those uh, reps with the ones with uh, Trey Udofia even before last week so he's been kind of preparing to have some significant playing time he actually went in a couple times I think before Trey even got hurt didn't we see him yeah, I think that, he was yeah. in there in the first quarter. Yeah, so, um, but it looks like he's probably going to be in there for Trey this weekend. I guess it kind of depends on what that ankle injury is and how long it lingers, and they're going to have to make that call, but I don't see them pushing it against Arizona. 
through the first few games, I was getting a little bit worried about um, the Buffs not playing any of their other cornerbacks. All we were seeing out there was Isaiah Oliver and Trey Udofia. So I was getting a little bit worried about their cornerback depth. So it's really nice to see Dante Wigley go out there and play really well. Yeah, I think I think the Buffs have a couple of corners who are going to play well, maybe given a little bit more opportunity. I mean, Ronnie Blackman's been doing some good things on special teams. I think he'll be an interesting player to see take some snaps in the defensive backs group. Let's take a look at the offensive side of the ball, where there have been a lot of questions kind of about production and about uh, them getting going. Um, Montez had a, a pretty good game this week. Yeah, I mean, he looked better. He looked a little bit more comfortable in the pocket, just more like he belonged is probably a better way to put it because against the Washington game he just looked kind of uncomfortable like he wasn't ready to make the right decision and he ended up not making the right decision uh this time he w- he played a pretty good game he went 17 for 36 243 yards and touchdown 17 for 36 isn't that good considering he was a 70 percent completion percentage going into the game one of I think he was 11th in the nation at that mark so to go below 50 after that is a little disappointing, but he didn't throw any interceptions, which was probably the most important part of all that. Yeah, and I think a lot of that is a nod to um, UCLA's uh, coverage, right, in their secondary. Like, they had those receivers locked down, which may or may not have been entirely their defensive backs as much as it maybe was the CU wide receivers struggling to get some separation there, but... Um, it definitely wasn't just Montez. There were also some drops that are going to be not his fault, but are going to show up in that number. Yeah, there were a few really big drops. Two, two of them in the end zone. Jawan Winfrey there at the end of half, oh, that and was then painful. Bryce Bobo in the second half. Both of them hit hit their hands. They had a great opportunity at catching. I mean, to give them the benefit of the doubt, Montez was on the run. He kind of threw it like not set up to throw so the wide receivers might not have been expecting it right. but still if it hits your hands and you play division one college football you should be able to make that grab especially if you're in the end zone because that's where you will make all your money if you're playing yeah. on Sundays yeah totally and I mean that along those same lines right like he throws that pass to Shea on the outside and Shea doesn't get his toes down he like he like pulls his uh, left leg up and doesn't drag his toes. So that one's incomplete too. And I mean, maybe Montez was leading him a little bit too much on that play, but I mean, that felt like something that Shea should have been able to pull in. Yeah. It's another good example of Montez making a good throw and his wide receivers just not being able to haul it in. So I guess his below 50% completion percentage will give him a little bit of, I don't know, I already said benefit of the doubt, but a little I'll bit of a pass him, on yeah, that. We'll a little bit of a pass. Yeah. We'll give him a pass. Um, really place that Montez really shined this past weekend was in the run game I mean he, yeah. he looks so comfortable running the read option it's like he's done it every single time and he makes really good reads I think he had one misread in that game from my memory and it was actually like the first time I was like wow Montez missed that read it's the first time all season that like I noticed it immediately that he missed it so he looks really comfortable in the read option and he had a f- broke a few really big runs well, and he, he leads the team in rushing this week, right? He's got like 20 more yards or something to that effect than Phil Lindsay. And uh, he had a couple of really big plays where he just totally broke free. Yeah. He, he, that looks like his sort of niche is running the ball. Yeah. He's definitely got that scramble side of him. Obviously, he has that incredibly powerful arm, but it looks like he really likes to run the ball. That's where he feels the most comfortable is when he's out of the pocket, looking upfield and then running. So, 
they they're gonna have to use that to their advantage. I think they have to keep running Montez a lot, even though he's gonna get banged up. That's kind of his game. Yeah, I think, and the Buffs kind of need a dual threat quarterback, a mobile quarterback, if they're gonna keep having these. Um, I guess kind of missed assignments along the offensive line. We were talking about Jared Coe again, just like running through a play and not picking up a block. So not really sure what's going on there. Yeah. I mean, the shaky offensive line, I guess, is the best way to put it. You kind of want your quarterback to be running in a little bit more. The read option obviously helps that because you have to block one less person on the defense. You leave that guy open. So as they keep on running that more, it'll definitely help their offensive line. Yeah, we did think that the line looked like a little better overall this week, though. We were kind of talking about that. We just rewatched the game, and uh, they, for the most part, I mean, especially in the first half, I thought they looked better than they have in a long time, and maybe that's because Huckins is fully back from that injury and Jeremy Irwin's back in the swing of things after missing the first two weeks. Yeah, I think that's definitely what it is, is now they got that starting five that they kind of expected going into the season, and we talked about that a lot last week is that this will be the first week that they get those guys together, those guys that they kind of gelled with during the spring and over summer and during fall camp, and then they never really got to play with each other. So getting to see them play their first game, it definitely looked improved. And there weren't as many breakdowns. Phil had a lot more holes. Uh, There were consistent runs of 10 yards or more. So there's definitely been some improvement. Yeah, let's let's talk about Phil. Phil always is fantastic of course but um he's been doing really well bouncing to the outside and he seems to they seem to be letting him do that more and more instead of trying to like shove him up the middle yeah they must have watched that Washington tape and been like (laughs) what were we doing throwing him up the middle every single time and just letting him run into those big probably first or second round draft pick defensive linemen so this week they got him out around the tackles a little bit more And he looked a lot better. He looked like Philip Lindsay for a lot of those runs. He had one run where he went straight up the middle, but you kind of saw that Phil burst that we haven't seen as much this season. Yeah, and I mean, shout out to Shea. We talked about this last week about how he maybe does not pick up as many blocks as he should when we were just rewatching the game. Chase was like, oh my God, that was such a good block by Shea. He had like this huge block for Phil. And I mean, that's great. That's what you want to see out of your wide receivers. That's huge. Yeah, that was a big fourth down and two play. They, uh, I think they went five wide on that. And then Phil started out on the inside, moved his way to the outside. And it's kind of a pick play, but Shea stayed on the line of scrimmage, which makes it not as much of a pick play. They didn't call it. Jim Mora was obviously really pissed on the sideline. And we should get into that a little bit more because the UCLA fan said that that was the makeup call that led to the holding call a little bit later on that. So, um, oh, right. That's the same drive that Montez runs that touchdown in and Bryce Bobo gets called for holding. He was not holding. We were just talking about this. We, when we were rewatching the game, he does not look like he is holding anything. He looks like he is being a really good blocker as a wide receiver, at least from our perspective that we have rewatching it on film. Yeah. And the cornerback that Bryce Bobo was, uh, blocking there kind of threw his arms up and I don't know the ref must have saw him out of the corner of his eye was like oh he's holding them must have been holding yeah yes that was obviously a great block by Bryce Bobo it was not holding it would have led to a touchdown and it would have actually made a huge difference in that game that was right at the end of the third quarter it would have given the Buffaloes the lead at the time Um, they ended up settling for a field goal and then you obviously know how a four-point swing 
ended that game. And you lose by four, and that's the difference maker right there. Well, one of several difference makers that the Buffs had. I mean, let's let's talk about that a little bit. Steven Montez said that in the press conference today. He said, I don't think anybody beats us this season. I think we've been beating ourselves. We've been kind of getting in our own way. And I, I don't necessarily think that's 100% true versus Washington, but I understand what he's saying, and I think it's absolutely the case versus UCLA. Well, to me, it almost looked more true in Washington, just um, maybe more from a Steven Montez perspective, because okay. uh, even Coach McIntyre said it today, Montez did enough against UCLA to win that game. The guys around him didn't do enough is kind of how McIntyre put it. Against Washington, it was a completely different story. Montez made the mistakes in that game that cost them the game. So from a Montez perspective, I think you can definitely see that they are getting in their own way. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, I wasn't looking at it as that. I was looking at it more, um, I mean, in both of those games, they've had drops. They've had these penalties that have cost them touchdowns or like really big plays getting called back. And I think that is really the point that Montez was trying to make was that like we keep doing these things that negate all of the good things that we're doing. And I think that's what he was trying to say. But I think definitely from a personal perspective, I think this has been his better of the two games, obviously. I mean, turn the ball over three times against Washington, and that doesn't happen this week. Yeah, and maybe Montez hasn't quite gone over the film against UCLA because maybe he thinks that Bryce Bobo did hold him on that, which is a really good way to get into your own team's ways by holding a guy um, when your quarterback's trying to get into the end zone, although it wasn't a hold like we just went over. But anyway... They keep on doing something that loses the game for them, and at some point, everything's going to click, and that was kind of the tone during um, Tuesday's press conference today was that at some point, these guys are going to figure it out, and they're going to start winning again. I think the frustrating thing is is that it's it's felt like that's been the message since week one. Like, this is eventually all going to start clicking, and it doesn't really feel like it's gotten that much better. It seems like parts have improved, but it doesn't feel as like a whole – that this team has reached that level that I think all of us expected them to reach, especially offensively. Yeah, you're definitely right. That's kind of the narrative that we've been getting from this team uh, since week one is that they're going to figure it out and they just haven't figured it out. It's like last year, just everything clicked and they kind of expect that to happen again this year and it just hasn't yet. Yeah, I mean, you can't be sitting there in like week nine saying, oh, it's about to start clicking. It's going to start clicking. And I mean, we're really getting to that point in the season where, I mean, it's it's either going to be working now or it's not going to click at any point this season, or it's going to click too late for them to actually do anything about it. Like make a bull push, make a championship push. Yeah, you're exactly right. So just to segue, let's get into a little play calling. Cause it was a different play calling game for this Buffalo team mm-hmm. than we've seen um, in the prior weeks. I guess let's talk about the big play call that kind of changed the whole entire game first, which was, the fake field goal right at the end of the first half. Um, they were lining up. It would have been, I think, a 29-yarder off the top of my head. I think it, it would have been a 29-yard field goal. It was a very makeable field goal. Yeah. So McIntyre opted for the fake field goal to get it into the Australian soccer player's hands and let him work his magic and get into the end zone. Obviously didn't work. He didn't even catch it. Uh, didn't really have an opportunity to make anything happen uh, I think it left a lot of bus fans kind of just befuddled I think I think there are two problems with this play right like first of all why are you calling this play like at this point in the game why is this your decision you're gonna go for a fake field goal I, 
whatever. The second problem with this play is the players on the field, right? Like, I mean, TJ Patterson is the one who's going to make this toss to your Australian kicker. Like, there are so many players that I feel like could have been involved in this play if you really wanted it to be successful. And this just kind of felt like it came out of nowhere. Yeah, you're, kind of, you're right about that. Like, if you're going to run a fake field goal, I think throwing it to your kicker is not always the best idea. I mean, T.J. Patterson can obviously throw. He's a walk-on quarterback yeah. here. But you don't want him to throw it to the kicker. Have him throw it to a tight end that's running out of the of the line there. Right. And instead of trying to put it into your Australian kicker's hands, it's just... It just doesn't make that much sense. And it's kind of weird. We don't see that side of McIntyre very often. Well, and I I love... I'm one of those people who really likes going for it on fourth down occasionally. I'm really behind this whole, like, let's catch them off guard and try to make something happen. But, like, in a close game like this, what are you doing making this play call with players on the field who, like, never touch the football in the way that you're asking them to touch the football? It's just... It's kind of confusing. Yeah, McIntyre must have gotten greedy or something. I mean, obviously, I think we all know about the quote uh, after the game. He (laughs) said... If he could, if he could do it a hundred times again, he would do the same thing a hundred times. Yep, he said if he had a hundred more opportunities, he would make the same choice a hundred times. And one of the uh, reporters said, even even with those same players, and he was like, "Yep, even with those same players, a hundred percent of the time." And I think all of us are kind of like, "How can you say that?" Like looking at how that play went and how unsuccessful it was. I mean, it wasn't this like it almost worked, and they were like just shy of making it. This is something that just like wasn't going to work and for you to say like yeah i'm going to do that that's terrifying that's a very stubborn comment to make to the media like i feel like just as a media member i'm going to respect you a little bit more if i think that you're giving me an honest answer yeah and to me that just wasn't really an honest answer well there's no there's no shame in saying like that was a bad call every coach in every sport has made a bad call at some point especially in those tricky situations so I don't I don't see why he wouldn't just come out and be like, you know, maybe we should have gone another way with it. Like there were so many ways to handle it that weren't like, yes, that was beautiful. That was exactly what I wanted to happen. Like, yes, I'm going to keep doing that in the future. I mean, it was just it was really weird. And then another just questionable part part of the play calling. And there were some really good things that CU did. They threw a lot more deep balls. They had some more wrinkles. It just looked like a better CU offense. But. The thing that they didn't do as much, and the announcers kind of alluded to this during the game, was they didn't have as many screens as they normally have. Usually you see a bunch of bubble screens. You see the screen to Shea, the screen to Bobo, the screen to Ross. You have these guys that are really good in open space and really hard to tackle, and yet they just weren't putting the ball in their hands. And to just make another point, UCLA's cornerbacks are known to not be that great of tacklers in the open field. That's why teams have been running all over them. And just to not want to get the ball in their hands was just a little bit questionable there. So we got to talk about how maybe some of that is, I'm sure some of it's play calling, but some of it is also going to be the wide receivers have not been able to get separation much at all this season, but especially against UCLA. I mean, Shea Fields has one reception for five yards on this game. Bryce Bobo has two for 23 Devin Ross has five for 55. None of the receivers, Jay McIntyre led everybody with 71 yards. So, I mean, nobody's really getting separation. Nobody's really giving Montez an option. There are a lot of plays when we're rewatching this game where Montez is scrambling around in the backfield and he has nobody to throw the ball to on like third down. And that's with the amount of receiving weapons that this Buffs offense has. That's unacceptable in my opinion. These are not the best cornerbacks in the league. You know what I mean? Like, 
Yeah, it kind of just makes you sit there and question, like, how are these guys not open right now? Because when, when I'm watching it on TV at home, I can't see that the wide receivers are open or not. I'm just right. guessing that Steven Montez isn't, isn't throwing because no one's open. But so I'm sitting there questioning, like, why can't Shea Fields get open? Or even just like off the first read where Montez drops back and throws one, you you don't see that very often. Well, and a lot of that, you guys, this is a good point, Chase. So a lot of you guys at home, if you're not at the game watching the game, if you're watching it on TV, the cameramen are trained on Montez when he has the football. So you don't see the fact that Shea Fields, Devin Ross, and Bryce Bobo are all in like one-on-one coverage and none of them is able to get any kind of separation. Like I was in the end zone taking pictures during this game and there were several plays where Devin and Shay were like running in circles in the end zone, trying to get some separation, but like not really, you know, they didn't get, they didn't get open at all. Yeah. It's just, it's just weird. Like there was so much hype going into these wide receivers, all four of them being back everybody just thought that they'd be so dominant and they're not they're they're not at all they can't even get open like it's not that they can't put put up good numbers it's that they can't even get open enough for Montez to throw it Bryce Bobo and Shea Fields combined for three catches against UCLA is it doesn't make any sense yeah I mean again this is not like Alabama's defense or something you know what I'm talking about this is not these are people that they should they they weren't getting open very much against Northern Colorado against Texas State all of these teams that they were supposed to be able to get open against I mean let's look at on the season Sheafields has just under 300 yards and two touchdowns through four games Bryce Bobo has 250 yards and two touchdowns through four games I mean that's those are not the statistics that I any of us expected from these wide receivers going into week five so uh, let's talk about the young wide receivers who are actually coming in and making some plays. I mean, LaVisca Chenault, every time that kid is on the field, we talked about this last week, every time he's on the field, he makes a big play. One of them got called back this week for what, holding something like that? Yeah, it was a chop block. But Oh, a chop block, that's right. On Jonathan Huckins, where I'm trying to watch the replay. I mean, you can see him go low on the guy, but... Jonathan Huckins was right near the line of scrimmage. It's one-on-one. The guy could see him go low on him. That is normally a legal block. And you could kind of see Huckins' reaction when he gets called. Like, how did I just get called for that? Um, so there were two two flags that were just very questionable. Yeah, but I mean, LaVisca Chenault, man. I mean, that was such a good play for him. And yeah, it's, it's a bummer that it got called back. But He's explosive, and he's really exciting to watch. He had a play later in the game where he uh, catches it along the sideline for this, um, for a first down, and the announcers are even like, that's what the buffs have been missing, that, like, middle ground, those deep balls, that's what they've been missing. And so I think the question kind of starts to become at a certain point, why are these players like LaVisca Chenault, like Katie Nixon, maybe not getting – as many snaps as they should. Juwan Winfrey was not in this week because uh, Jay McIntyre was in. And Juwan was practicing with the ones all week, and then Jay's healthy enough to start on Saturday. And no knock against Jay. Jay's a good football player. But all of these other kids who maybe should be in the offense in the mix, at least, aren't really getting as many snaps as maybe they should because of all the seniors on the team. Yeah, and so you get to this point where you start – to kind of question should we start the seniors that have been here forever or should we start the guys that might be a little bit more talented might be able to get open a little bit better on that route that you mentioned for Chenault 
that was probably the best route I've seen of any CU receiver all year. You could you could tell you could see him fake off the corner like he was gonna come back for a comeback and then go right by him and get right in between the safety and his cornerback and catch the ball. Beautiful catch, beautiful throw. Right. It's probably maybe one of the best plays of just a Montez to wide receiver connection that we've seen all year. So we do, I think we do, we are at a point where we have to start to wonder why these guys aren't playing as much as they yeah, should. And it's it's no disrespect to Shea or Bryce or Devin. I mean, we've seen all of those guys make incredible plays. But when you get to a point where for several games in a row you have your wide receivers not getting open, it's you have to switch it up if you have talent waiting in the wings. And the Buffs have so much wide receiver talent on that sideline. I mean, I know KB on Ento is probably going to be a red shirt this year, but Juwan Winfrey and Johnny Huntley and um, KD and LaVisca, and there's just so many wide receivers that should be – able to go in and mix things up and I I know that Shay and Bobo and Dev all want to go to the NFL I know that they like need their senior seasons and stuff like that but it, it kind of becomes a what's better for the team question at a certain point and I'm not sure that those guys being in the game 100% of the time is what's best for the team right I, I'm personally I'm really hoping to see a lot more LaVisca Chenault I think they need to play him a lot on that run play on that reverse we saw how fast he is i was impressed like man that is a big dude we were talking about that last week when you interviewed him he was standing next to bobo or pretty close to bobo and you can just tell how much bigger lavisca is than bryce bobo like that kid is jacked like that kid is huge and i cannot even believe he's only 18 and then to watch him fly on that wide receiver reverse just shows off like all the skill that this kid has so I'm under the impression that we need to start seeing these kids a lot more. I think we're going to. I mean, I honestly, I I don't think that anybody's going to lose their starting job or anything, but I think we're going to start seeing LaVisca and maybe Katie and maybe a little bit more Jawan earlier and earlier in the games, like less so in garbage time and more when they just need somebody to come in and shake things up. All right, so I want to use this time now to talk a little bit about the Blake Street Tavern. I know you get it from us a lot, but... We really can't stop boasting about it. We love doing our podcasts here. We love coming here for away games. It just doesn't get much better than the Blake Street Tavern. And I know this weekend is a home game, so most of you will be trying to get out to Folsom Field. If you can't, if you're stuck in Denver, if you don't have tickets to the game, head over to the Blake Street Tavern. They have the best beer. They have the best food. They have the best TVs. They're right next to Coors Field, a perfect location downtown. It just doesn't get better than the Blake Street Tavern. So head over there. Have some great food. Enjoy the game. Enjoy any game, really. Blake Street Tavern. Do it. So I guess we should have held off on talking about LaVisca until we started our hot or not, as he is the first player on our hot list. But uh, let's go ahead and go to the second guy on our hot list. Uh, Evan Worthington had a great game this week, has been having a great season. Yeah, he is a stud, and he's full of talent as well. He can absolutely fly to the ball. He can make tackles. He can do just about everything you want out of your safety, out of your nickel corner. Uh, I remember Coach McIntyre said before the season even started that he's going to remind you a little bit of Cheeto. And we, all of us in the media kind of like looked at each other like, yeah. what, <laughs> what did he just say? Like He's comparing someone to Cheeto Bayouzia? Like. Especially what? like this kid, Evan, who got suspended for a season, right? Like we don't see him for a whole year and he comes back and Coach Mack is like, oh yeah, he's going to look just like Cheeto. And we were all like, what? But he kind of does. He like w- does. As, he f- 
when you see him fly to the ball, it reminds you of Cheeto. He just yeah. flies to the ball. And he, he, I told you when we were watching today, he looks angry. Like when someone catches the ball near him, he looks angry. Like he's going to pop you and he's going to get to you as fast as possible. So, I mean, I've been really impressed with him. This past weekend, he had seven total tackles, one tackle for loss, and that huge interception. So Great. he continues to produce and he continues to look really good out there. And he's honestly, I, I love Cheeto. Cheeto is one of my favorite players. Um, but he w- he had a problem being disruptive in a bringing the football down with him kind of way. Like he he was tied for like the lead in passes defended, wasn't he? Or was that no? That was Ted Nicello. But he was he was up there in passes defended last year. Um, and but he didn't have very many interceptions. And that's one of my favorite things about Evan is when he is breaking up a pass, he's bringing it down with him. Like he is taking that ball with him and. I talked to him a couple of weeks ago and what you were saying about him getting mad when people make catches on him. He told me, he was like, I take that personally. Like that is not okay with me. And that's, that's the kind of player he is. And I think that's so obvious on the field. And I think that's great. Yeah. It's cool. What kind of attitude that he plays with Mm -hmm. coach Mack likes to allude to that, but it's all about him growing as a person and him taking that year off, how much he learned from that and how much it made him just, treat every moment that he's on the field like it's his last and like it matters it's the most important thing to him and before you know he was just kind of going through the motions like any other normal college kid that's like oh I play football I'm pretty good at it now it's like hey this sport really matters it's an honor and a privilege to play and he acts like it now when he had he had a kid in the offseason and I don't want to assume how big of an impact that was but like his, his little boys, I think, just turned one. I want to say we saw that on social media somewhere. But um, that's that's just like he just is such a different person. And I got to think that that has something to do with it, right? Like having a whole new motivation for your life. Yeah, he, he's a completely new man. He still has the skill that he had when he got here. He probably has a lot more of it. He's probably faster. I didn't know him when he was here. I wasn't at CU. Right. Um, but he's probably a little faster because he can absolutely fly out there. Yeah. Let's talk about um, one of the other defensive backs who's actually on our not list. And this kind of breaks both of our hearts to put uh, Ryan Muller on this side of the list because he's such a good guy and he's such a good player. But he seems to be um, getting taken advantage of a lot lately, I guess. Yeah, I think um, the right term to use with Ryan Muller would be a little bit of overuse because they have so many safeties, especially when Foe is healthy. He wasn't healthy all game, but um, especially when Foe is healthy – that they don't need to use Moeller in these passing situations where um, I think it'd be much smarter to use a guy like Nick Fisher, who's been a lot better in pass coverage. But um, as we say that, uh, Moeller hasn't played that well yet, but he's going up against a running team this week, and I think that's where Moeller's really going to shine is against an option team where he's going to be on the line of scrimmage a lot, and he's going to be covering that option, and he's going to have to be slowing down Arizona's quarterback this week. Well, and I think that that's a really fair point you make about um, him being kind of put in this position where he's on the field so much that, of course, he's going to get burned. It's just like a numbers game, right? But I think the other thing is that especially the position that he's in, that buff back position, that like hybrid safety linebacker position, he's constantly put in positions where, I mean, he's just he's going to miss sometimes or he's just he's not going to be in the best coverage sometimes. But um, another player on our not list this week on defense is a. Uh, Derek McCartney, who, again, wonderful person, wonderful football player, but he just doesn't seem to be having the best season. And is that maybe because of his injury last year? He's not, like, 
fully back to the same explosiveness that he was, something seems to be off. Yeah, and I think that's a good place to put the blame is that is probably on coming back from an ACL injury. He just doesn't look as explosive. You used the word right there. He's just not the D-Mac that we saw at the start of last year where he was getting to the quarterback a lot. And it's a big reason why this team has kind of struggled to get to the passer. Uh, they didn't put that much pressure on Josh Rosen at all. They only recorded one sack. Yeah, like no pressure. I think, yeah, one sack in that whole game, and it was by Javier Edwards, which you, you don't want your nose tackle Javi. to be leading your team in sacks in a game. That's a very good point. Yeah, I mean, the pass rush has struggled, and when you look at it with a player like Derek McCartney, you know that it's not a work ethic thing. It's not anything other than he's just he's got to be just struggling to come back to 100 from that injury. Yeah, and you kind of feel for him. Like, he's he's trying his best. And they put him into situations where he doesn't always have to be rushing past or he doesn't have to be using his explosiveness. They kind of leave him as that, like, uh, spy kind of guy out on the edge. So they've u- utilized him correctly. I just think he's still coming back from that injury. And maybe he will get faster as this season goes on as he starts to feel a little bit more comfortable out there. Yeah, I mean, that's one of those injuries where – I mean, you can. it can take so long to come back for, from it, right? Like, it can take so long to get your burst back from that. But um, another player we're really looking forward to hopefully getting to the quarterback a little bit more on our hot list is uh, Drew Lewis, who is just so good. He's been so good all season. And Pro Football Focus actually made a graphic of him this weekend. Uh, 17 quarterback pressures, the most in college football uh, among inside linebackers. 19 run stops, six most uh, among inside linebackers in the FBS. So let's talk about Drew Lewis. Dude's a stud. (laughs) That's all I got to say. I I mean, we talked about Evan Worthington. Drew Lewis is very similar to that in that they just both have a ton of athleticism, a ton of speed that they can – they just fly out there. They both just fly. Drew is a monster. And uh, my uh, Coach Mack got asked during the uh, press conference today – do you you feel like Drew Lewis is like on the cusp of just like getting to the quarterback on a regular basis? And coach Mack said, you know, a lot of that is how we use him. Like the way we line him up that he's maybe not getting back there. Um, But I, I I feel like he's right on the verge of that too. Like, I just want to see him just get back there and like nail the quarterback all the time. He's so instinctual on that Mm -hmm. inside or that delayed middle linebacker blitz that he just looks so good, and he, he, whenever he gets that opportunity, you just know he wants to crush the quarterback, yeah. and he has quite a few times, but he has yet to record a sack on this season just because, right. um, as McIntyre explained it today, the quarterback can kind of see him running up the middle and can get rid of it, mm-hmm. but it's going to be an incompletion because he knows that he's about to get leveled. I. And I think the thing with Drew Lewis is, like you said, he's so intense. He's just like one of those really physical players. I think once Drew crosses that plane of starting to um, record sacks a little bit more regularly, he's just going to be such a monster back there. I mean, I think he's going to get a taste for it, and it's just going to be over. Like, quarterbacks are just not even going to want to see him on the field. Drew Lewis is kind of starting to look like one of those guys like Isaiah Oliver who may have the opportunity to uh, leave Colorado next year if – he wants to go to the NFL. I mean, I don't see either of them necessarily leaving at the end of the season, but they're both kind of playing like they could. Yeah, Drew's definitely been opening up some eyes. And then obviously Isaiah has been opening up eyes since last season. I think uh, scouts kind of knew about him going into this year, and then he's played so well this year that um, they keep knowing about him and they keep on coming back. I saw today you posted on Twitter that 
Um, he's number 23 on Mel Kuyper's big board, projected mm-hmm. to be a first rounder. He's on several big boards, actually. After I posted that, I looked. He's on like three or four right now. Yeah. So he's projected to be a first rounder. As it sits, there's the chances keep on going up that he's going to be leaving after this season. Um, Drew, on the other hand, I kind of see him coming back for another year. He, I mean, this is his first year starting, so he kind of wants to be comfortable with this offense. And another reason is him and Rick Gambo are both juniors, so it would make sense for them to kind of play together next year because they're so comfortable with each other. Well, that's a good point. And Rick Gamboa is also on our hot list this week. He had a really good game this week. I mean, he's been he's been making some plays all season long, but he just he was there all the time for uh, big stops this week. Yeah, he's really consistent. That's the word I would use with Gamboa. You know what you're going to get with him week in, week out. He's going to stuff the run game. He's going to read plays. Um, we were watching the game just recently, and he made a huge play. Uh, he looked like a cornerback on the play, but it was a little pass deflection, and you could see him just read the quarterback's eyes. He knew what offensive set they were in and knew that Josh Rosen wanted to throw the ball right to him. Gampoa just sprinted over him with the speed that he has and blocked it. And it was a great play, but it, that's when you can kind of just see the mental side of Rick Gambo and how smart he is when he's out on the football field to kind of read these plays. And he does the same thing in the run game. He's a great run stopper, fills the gaps like nobody I've really seen on this team. Yeah, and, and Rick had uh, a couple of plays like that. It wasn't just that one. He did that a couple times where he just seemed to instinctively know exactly where the ball was going to go. And I mean, he, he wasn't able to turn it over, but he was batting that out of the air more than once. Yeah, he, I mean, Mr. Consistent, I think that's the best way to put it. He, you that's know good. what you're going to get out of him every mm-hmm. single time, and it's going to be 10 tackles, maybe a pass breakup, and he's going to read a few plays before the quarterback knows that he knows. He's going to know before he knows that he knows what <laughs> you didn't follow that I did. all right last person on the not list oh, okay so i don't know how everybody's gonna feel about this but coach mack is the last person on our not list um i think it starts with the fake field goal and then it just continues from there yeah and management i mean he's just not been the same as last year where we're just praising him all the time i guess i think now he's kind of in a stage where he's going to be critiqued a lot and especially if they lose and then i mean just to call that fake field goal and then double down on it in the press (laughs) presser it it just doesn't really help his cause that much well and i know that coach mack won coach of the year last year right and then you kind of look at how much of that was just the talent around him i'm not saying Coach McIntyre is a bad coach. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that this season has not been nearly as successful as last season. And how much of him being a good coach last year was the fact that he got to lean on so much future NFL talent and Cepho being like the veteran player that he was and the leader that he was. And then this season, he's, I mean, he's still to his credit, the defensive backs are his area, right? And I mean, the defensive backs have been great all season, but he hasn't been able to get this offense to produce. And I mean, that's, that's half your job as a head coach. And that's, I think that's the biggest problem. Yeah. It's kind of about attitude is last year, the CU team had a different attitude that they were going to go out, knock the teeth out of you and beat you. And CU doesn't really have that attitude this year. And I think you got to point your finger to the coach when you kind of see that this team just doesn't play with that type of, 
I don't I don't know what you want to call it, but they just don't look like the same team that they were last year. I think I think a lot of you guys saw that uh, article that Jake Shapiro wrote where he said, I can see it in their eyes that they're a different team. And I know a lot of you guys jumped down. You have down. to say you, the see it in their eyes part. That's yeah. Like well, the see it in your eyes the part is the part that resonates. Part, yeah. You guys love that. Um, I, I know that a lot of you guys jumped down his throat for that. And I, I understand why. But the other thing is that, I mean, Jake was kind of right in what Chase was just saying about it seems like a lot of these players don't have that anger that motivation that drive whatever that extra thing was that Cheeto had that Ted had that Jimmy Gilbert had that Cepho had it just kind of seems like they're not playing with that same level of energy and I don't know if it's because they went to a bowl game last year and it doesn't have and they went to the Pac-12 championship and it doesn't hold that same value for them I don't know what it is but I'm not gonna say I can see it in their eyes but you can feel the vibe is different on the team and I don't I'm not trying to say exactly what Jake said, but I'm as somebody who is at practice every day and somebody who is down on the sidelines during the games, it feels different. I was there last year too, and it's not the same energy. And maybe it's just that this team didn't really go through what the team last year had to go through in their first few years. A lot of this team is Juco transfers, younger kids that just didn't get the, their ass kicked every single game. So now they kind of have that attitude of, hey, we're we're a good Pac-12 team. We can compete with all these teams. Like, they just – they they're just not the same. But, I mean, that being said, to me, the freshmen and the transfers are some of the most, like, energetic and determined players on that team. I mean, it's the younger players taking snaps. Evan Worthington comes back, and he's really high energy. Trey Udofia has been great out there with his energy. I mean – um, LaVisca Chenault coming in and making plays. Juwan Winfrey comes back from an injury and he's just hungry and you can tell. I mean, there's I, – I don't really know what it is. I don't, I don't want to put it on any one person or any, like, one class of players, but I think, I think you're kind of right. I think they kind of went into this season being like we're competitors now and they, they don't feel like they have to push as hard anymore. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's that they don't have anything to prove. Like, last year they went in, like, thinking, hey – everybody thinks that we're going to win two games this year. Right. And this year they're like, all right, well, we won the Pac-12 South last year, so now what? And they just don't have that same attitude. So that's it. You you win the Pac-12 South, but you're still not a competitor as far as, like, college football playoffs go, and you're just settling there? That's just it. This is we, – we went to the Pac-12 championship game once, and that is it. We are tapping out as a team. That's what it looks like as of now. I mean, they're – they have – two wins in their or three wins in their last what six games yeah they've lost f- four straight against power five opponents it's kind of crazy yeah i mean and and being down in that end zone as a photographer you're like right there and it they don't feel like they're fighting to get open and i feel like a lot of this is on the offense i'm sorry i do i feel like a lot of the defense still has at least some of that drive that they had last season but i mean i don't know what it is and this is not about Phil Lindsay. This is not about like everybody on the team by any means. It's not like a blanket statement. But overall, the energy doesn't feel the same. I mean, Phil's obviously still fighting all the time. I mean, there are players who are still just heart and soul into the whole game. But it's not it's not everybody. And last year, it felt like every single person on that team was just so hungry and so ready to like fight it out to the very end. And this team feels more like the team that was in the Pac-12 championship, that was in the bowl game, that just like the game got away from them and they just like stopped fighting. Yeah, maybe all that talk kind of got 
to this offense's heads. Everyone was hyping up, even me, even you. Everyone was hyping up this offense that maybe they just thought that everything was going to come easy to them, and it's just not. It's not easy to get open against these kinds of teams. Well, and frankly, it should have come easy to them. I mean, every single player on this offense, when you look at running backs, when you look at wide receivers, every single player on this offense is so talented and so capable of winning a game and being a playmaker, and they're just they're just not doing it. They're just not putting it together, and it shouldn't be hard for them. This isn't a terrible group of wide receivers that's, like, fighting to put a drive together. Yeah, it shouldn't be hard at all, and yet it is as we sit here after four weeks, so... So we may not have an answer for you there as to what exactly is going on with them mentally, but um, we will be back later this week. We are going to do another podcast where we preview Arizona, hopefully with a better outcome. We'll make some predictions. We'll look at some of the key matchups. And um, you can follow us on social media at BSN Buffs on uh, Twitter, on Instagram, at BSN Denver on Snapchat. Then you can follow um, myself and Chase at uh, by Chase Howell on Twitter and at Samantha N. Weaver. And that about wraps it up for us for now. We will uh, be back later this week with that preview of Arizona. And for Chase Howell, I'm Sam Weaver.